Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today we have Ben Kaplan. Ben is the head of real estate development and facilities for Hammer Enterprises. Ben has been in the commercial real estate industry for about 34 years, spending time on the landlord side at Mace Ridge. He's done brokerage. He was at California Pizza Kitchen. And now, most recently, he's uh, the head of real estate development facilities for Hammer Enterprises. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Uh, I feel privileged. (laughs) Also, I feel privileged. (laughs) Ben, tell us a little bit about your career and what you've done and just a little insight on Hammer Enterprises and what uh, Hammer Enterprises does. Sure. I'd be glad to. Um, I wrote a few notes here because it's been a long career, but, uh, (laughs) you know, graduating uh, in, uh, let's see, 1985 uh, with a business management degree, I uh, decided to, I had no clue what I was going to get into. And my, uh, my wife of now 30, uh, four years, uh, I was uh, dating and uh, right out of college. And her brother was in the shopping center development business here in Boston. So I figured, you know what, maybe I should get into real estate. So I did. So uh, first job was a property manager with a condo uh, uh, management company here in actually Brookline, Mass. Did that for about a year and then I changed. I went to work for a condo developer, uh, converting apartment complexes into condos before the tax laws changed. And uh, you know, you get investors buying these units left and right. Did that for a little over a year. And then I went to work for a national syndicator of apartments and acquisitions. It was uh, for a very young age, it was a really cool job. He had a, a, a private jet and we would fly around the country looking at uh, two, three, four, 500 unit complexes in acquisitions. So that was kind of the start in real estate for me. And then I I hung up my own shingle. Um, And my niche was, I had an office in Brookline, uh, Mass. And my niche was uh, going out looking to buy small little retail store blocks and uh, little strip centers. And back then, Non-recourse financing was available, so you could get it from lenders, but you could also get second mortgages from sellers. So it's that uh, great story of being able to buy uh, real estate, commercial real estate, with basically no money down. And the way I had set it up was I would only buy it if I could drive to it within a couple hours, because not only did I acquire it myself, I managed it myself, and then I leased it myself. Uh, and the leasing, uh, it was something that really clicked right away um, from small little strips and small little store blocks, uh, leasing to banks, to video stores, to restaurants, you know, the subways of, of the world and so on. So I really liked leasing. So uh, then uh, uh, kind of a downturn happened and then financing became uh, very difficult and challenging. Um, I decided to get into the fee business and partner up with uh, somebody that had just started a uh, brokerage company in Cambridge, Mass called National Commercial Brokers. And um, so I partnered up with them and uh, we were partners for a little over 12 years. And I uh, got, that's when I really started getting into uh, the retail representation and the restaurant representation. Um, 
first started in retail, uh, Hollywood Video was one of my our first clients. Wow. Uh, and it was a great learning experience being a broker. Um, if anybody listening uh, had, has, had did any work with them, they, uh, they pretty much outsourced all of their real estate department to brokers. So you had to put these site packs together and basically uh, uh, it, it kept me busy. However, um, I always, uh, even at that point, uh, liked restaurants and, and uh, a foodie like a lot of us, right? And I'm sure Chris, you're a foodie. Yeah, I like foodie. You know, I'm foodie. Uh, especially in this business, right? Uh, so uh, I started to uh, want to represent restaurants. So uh, one of our, our first clients after uh, basically working with a fran an early franchisee of Panera Bread here in Boston and New England, uh, I, as a broker, I basically uh, hounded him for about a year. And finally, he said, okay, Ben, why don't you represent us? So that's when it all started. Uh, started representing him and then uh, another franchisee and so on. So did that for 12 years. And then, um, then the crazy thing happened. Uh, I basically, with my wife and only child daughter, who was 12 years old, all from New England, uh, decided to make a big change and move out to Scottsdale, Arizona. And, uh, you know, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Loved real estate. And being a broker, I basically uh, was thinking I could either go on the developer landlord side or actually work for a tenant. So I ended up going out and then uh, hooked up with uh, Mace Rich. Uh, Mace Rich was the last REIT to form uh, a national restaurant leasing group. They, uh, they were still doing the restaurant leasing, unlike other large REITs, by uh, you know VPs of real estate that were managing the malls, right? And overseeing sure. the malls for leasing and didn't think that it was necessary to have specialized restaurant leasing folks. Perfect timing. So I go out there, they had an office in Phoenix. Uh, they're based in Santa Monica and they had just bought Westcore, which was the largest mall developer in, uh, in Arizona. So uh, uh, they hired me, I formed a group and I was there for uh, almost five years and running the restaurant leasing. I was like a kid in a candy store. I had 80 million square feet of existing property to oversee, 20 million under development, and I had a great team. And all I did every week was fly around the country uh, doing restaurant deals and making lots of friends and uh, had a blast. Um, so uh, did that and then, uh, I ended up uh, consulting, well, CPK, California Pizza Kitchen. Uh, I had represented them back in my brokerage days, Rick uh, Rosenfield and Larry Flax. A lot of people uh, probably listening to this know their whole success story and so on. So they uh, talked me into coming to work for them. So I did. And uh, I left Macerich and I worked for them for a little over a year. Um, for a lot of different reasons, it, it didn't work out. So I started my own consulting business right when the recession hit uh, about 12 years ago. Uh, yeah, and I did that uh, for two years and I was consulting, uh, representing landlords that had started building these large develop retail developments that needed restaurant deals and there weren't many of them. I would represent some restaurant companies around the country 
that uh, still were expanding, taking advantage of uh, an opportunity. So I did that for a couple of years uh, out uh, and I was living in Scottsdale in uh, Arizona. Um, our only child, uh, my daughter decides she wants to go to college back in uh, New England and Boston. So what do we do? We pack up and we're moving back to, to Boston, uh, back home. Um, so we did that and Panera Corporate who I had a long tenure relationship with, being their broker uh, and so on, uh, offered me a job. Said, why don't you come back, we'll pay your relocation, and you'll handle the real estate uh, for Panera uh, corporate from basically the Northeast. So really from New York through New England, up to uh, through, through uh, Toronto and Ottawa, still to this day is the only uh, location outside of the country where there are Panera Bread cafes. So I was there for about two years and had a blast. I mean, I did 40 corporate deals in two years. It was uh, back when Panera was exploding. Um, so uh, ended up leaving Panera uh, and then hooked up with Hamra, where I'm at today. Sorry and about that long-winded. Uh, no, so. it's great perspective. Uh, you know, good to see how a career, you know, shapes up. And so what does Hamra do? So Hammer, so uh, owned by the Hammer family based out of Springfield, Missouri. Um, when I joined the company almost eight years ago, uh, they had 72 restaurants uh, between Panera Bread and Wendy's. Uh, we're very large franchisees of Panera and Wendy's. Um, we, we are a franchisee also of Noodles and Company. And uh, still in St. Louis, we have uh, nine stores. But when I joined them eight years ago, we had a total of 72 stores. Today, uh, we have 172. Wow. And that's been both through organic growth and acquisitions. Uh, you know, Wendy's refranchising, selling back to franchisees, same thing with Panera. So it's been, uh, it's been a, 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 a lot of fun. Um, uh, obviously, now is an interesting time. Uh, with it, within the eight years I've been with my camera, um, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. And obviously the Panera brand is something throughout my entire career. I've, uh, I've, I've worn different hats uh, when it comes to Panera from you know broker to landlord to working for Panera corporate and now with one of the largest franchisees. I have had on this show a bunch of real estate corporate real estate folks that work for franchisors and I've had some small or medium sized franchisees that they kind of do their own real estate, but we have very few that on the show so far that have been a large enough franchisee where they've had their own real estate person. And so can you walk us through what your relationship is like with Panera? What is the interaction between the head of real estate at a franchisee and the real estate team at, at the franchisor? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. Um, Panera Bread, uh, a lot of their success, I have to start this way, has been that outside of our industry, most guests have no clue that it's not one company, right? Totally. I mean, you, and, and, and that's, uh, so I have to start that way. but. Um, it is interesting. Um, there aren't a lot of Panera franchisees 
that have somebody like me within their company, right? A lot of, uh, I would say the majority of franchisees have uh, exclusive broker relationships when it comes to site selection and all. But um, my camera, who hired me almost eight years ago, uh, uh, it was an opportunity he saw that uh, with my background, and again, being the broker, being the landlord, working for Panera Corporate, uh, it was you know pretty good bet on his part that uh, you know being uh, understanding how to uh, grow uh, and expand the brand, right? As far as site selection, as far as understanding all aspects of the business and so on. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's been it's been great. I mean, what, on a on a typical deal, what type of interaction do you have to have with Panera Corporate? Yeah. So Panera Corporate um, traditionally has uh, always had an in-house real estate team. And again, I was in-house for two years. And the relationship between the franchisee and corporate real estate is more of a kind of uh, guidance, kind of uh, meeting with the franchisees to give them um, the knowledge of, uh, you know, what the, what the requirements should be, the size of the cafe, the demographics. Um, Panera Corporate, one of the, the things that they did initially, which was really smart, was they have a, their own strategy um, uh, team uh, that basically uh, does modeling and sales forecasting, but also really breaks down demographics, et cetera. So they offer that up to franchisees to be able to give them market plans that kind of uh, besides uh, from a high level to look at uh, any given trade area and, and give direction if that's the right type of trade area for them. Do you have like a monthly yeah, call? So, uh, or like I speak, uh, so sure. They have, um, they have uh, annual meetings uh, that basically the, um, uh, they're they're uh, kind of uh, they were called like family reunions at one point, and basically it breaks down into sessions. So uh, all the franchisees can meet with corporate uh, real estate folks, um, like you know ICSC that we're so familiar with. Right. All those conferences every year that I've gone, uh, there's always like for me now, I always end up hooking up with uh, a bunch of folks from from Panera corporate real estate, right? And get together and we have kind of offsite meetings and kind of discuss the, the, the future. Like right now, I had a call earlier today with somebody at uh, LLC corporate in real estate to discuss um, some of the thinking around how we're gonna change and, and uh, with, the, with, with this whole current situation. I mean, there's a lot of that being discussed now, right? Because, you know, Larger dining rooms, smaller dining rooms, you know, and I could get into that. So uh, there's been, uh, I will say this, uh, working with a lot of different brands, I think that uh, has been a real strength for Panera to understand that right from the beginning, because they did start franchising to area developers right away when, you know, Ron Shake went out and bought St. Louis Bread Company, the way to expand and then turned it into Panera 
um, was uh, realizing the, the, <laughs> the power of the real estate development team and corporate working with the franchisees. Got it. Makes sense. That's a good place to pivot. And you mentioned small, big dining rooms. What's going on in food and beverage today? How are you looking at the world? What are you thinking about coming out of the pandemic with food and beverage? Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, I want to share this with you, Chris, because, you know, since, you know, everything hit uh, at the end of March, um, I keep saying this to a lot of friends and landlords and other tenants and so on talking to uh, when it comes in. And, you know, look, uh, one of the things that I've been really busy with uh, on my side of things is working with landlords to try to figure out rent right? And how we can partner up to work with each other when, you know, initially in April, and and this is pretty much known out there that business for a lot of the restaurant food beverage either just stopped 100% or or, um, it was was down 85%. So when you're down and with sales 85% or even, you know, having to close a store, how do you afford to, to, to pay rent? So the way I've said it to a lot of folks, uh, and I still feel this way, is that in my entire career, like a seesaw, right? It was always, and maybe Chris, in your your long career already, right? Uh, Realizing how young you are uh, today or yesterday, um, is it was always uh, tilted one way or another a little bit. It was more leverage from the landlord standpoint, more leverage from the tenant. I've never in my career was like in, and when and end of March and beginning of April, it, it was level. It's like what I would say is, you know what, with landlord friends and, and people that uh, I still call friends, even though we really haven't uh, agreed to disagree on the rent issue, is we're in the same boat together and it's got tons of holes in it. And all we're trying to do together is plug up those holes so we can survive, right? So uh, my world from, from restaurant and, and, and beverage and so on, from the real estate deal-making standpoint and rent and all that, uh, conversations are continuing that way. As far as what, what, I'm, uh, what I feel, uh, besides my career, I'm also a concept junk. Chris, you and I haven't even talked about that. Aspect. Yeah. I've uh, almost... I have. I don't think I ever will. I always say I've kind of started a book about concepts, uh, <laughs> and, and even even named it. A, I called it a, a chain too early. Ah. You know, if you put that in perspective, what we're talking about, I feel so bad for for one off and and local, you know, restaurants that uh, were just uh, getting going right, and with this and having to shut down. I, I just, uh, I, 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 it's sad. It's sad to see what uh, those Total- operators and owners are going through right now. Totally tough time. What does the cafe of the future look like? You mentioned small, bigger dining rooms, you know, I, and I've heard the same, right? Some people think the dining room has to be bigger to space people out. Some people think it has to be smaller and do more takeout and pick up. Yeah. What's going on? What does the dining room of the future look like? Great question. Uh, depends what segment you're in, right? So, you know, again, I've kind of been, so right today, 
with Wendy's fast food and then with Panera, right? Fast casual <clears throat> and noodles and company. Um, Panera, I'll say, you know, Panera, uh, even before uh, this COVID crisis, uh, the business had been pivoting and shifting uh, for years. And a lot of it was what we call outside of the four wall business, right? From catering to rapid pickup to delivery to you know all those aspects of the business. So when it came to when it comes to fast casual, um, you'll uh, you know that was already occurring. So it was a lot easier to pivot when all of the dining rooms had to close, right? Um, as far as the fast food goes, and then I'll get to your I'll get give you the answer. I know this is only so long, and that's what I was worried about. We could go on forever. Um, For sure. Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, Wendy's, right? I mean, you know, the impact, the business hasn't been impacted as much because so much already uh, is based off a of drive through, right? What is the average Wendy's drive through so percentage? It can, be, it can be over 60%. You and know? an average Wendy's, one five, one six these days? Yeah, it's a little little higher. A little higher than that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and Panera has this ambiance, this I want to sit down and work and have a cup of coffee and go up and refill my coffee and maybe I'll grab a bagel. How does that all play out with this? I know you guys right. are trying so, to do more, but you still have that core customer that wants to come in, sit in that nice comfy chair and pull their laptop on top of them and sit for a couple hours. Where, right. What happens to that customer? You know, it's interesting, Chris, you know, the, the, the business has changed and the, you know, we're talking almost three decades, right. Uh, for the brand. And uh, early on, that's what it was all about. It was about, you know, and it still is, but like the chill period, right. I don't know if you ever heard that, but chill period is between breakfast and lunch, lunch and dinner, dinner and close, you know, uh, traditionally Panera in the past, 30% of its business was chill. And that's, oh. uh, that's exactly who you're talking about. If I had no idea. Wanted to get together for meetings or just like the wife, the, the Wi-Fi. I mean, when Panera first got going, uh, it was one of the first brands to offer free Wi-Fi, right? Uh, you know, so an internet. Um, so, uh, the, you know, what's, what's interesting is Panera still is that uh, cafe, right? That people like to hang out and so on. But uh, uh, it's kind of like, let me, let me pivot a second. Starbucks, right? Uh, look what Starbucks is doing lately, which is really fascinating to me. They're, they're now thinking, you know what? We, uh, we really need to start going back to the uh, good old days of to go and, and pick up and, 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 you know, the larger stores that have a lot of soft seating and they were going to the food component, they're now pivoting back to the way they were because, uh, you know, uh, how do I say this without saying that? Cause I, I look, I don't want to sound like, uh, I don't want those guests to come and hang out for hours and have meetings and do all that. It's still always going to be part of Panera, but, uh, from a financial modeling standpoint, you know, I think about it. Dining rooms cost money for an operator, right? And, and fast casual and fast food. So to operate, to clean, to all that. So if, if, if you can continue to get your fast casual and fast food business outside of the four walls, 
and it's it's almost the old theory of like from um what, what was the concept uh, rallies uh burgers do you remember they just drive sure you know you, why why do you need it and why do you need a dining room now i'm not saying panera is going to go to that but in my entire career with panera they've gone their prototype square footage has gone from uh right out of the chute it was in the low four thousands at one point it was well over five thousand square feet uh before COVID, it was getting closer to four thousand and i could see it going even smaller and it, it, it we're really talking about the dining room not the not the back of house not the kitchen area but what but what do you do with the if that's the case you have all this existing infrastructure have all these locations right. that are they're bigger so how do you handle that you can't just move every location tomorrow yeah no no right so you know what when it comes to panera again it's it's not we we will and we will get the dining room business back because that that that's uh that's a given i mean people and that's been one of panera uh strength right of people uh that during the day uh, want to hang out somewhere and have a cup of coffee or have a have a pastry or you know sandwich salad soup or whatever but uh, people like hanging out so that 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 really is going to come back that's not going to change so the existing cafes that have all these uh, seating it's not like uh, those need to go away um, but what uh, the the difference though is when it comes to new development going forward, if you can build smaller footprints, uh, think about the investment that uh, it just makes deals, uh, it makes deals uh, uh, hurdle, makes more sense, right? If you can, and, and especially in markets where you kind of uh, have a lot of stores already, like Chicago, for example, we have, uh, we just opened right in January, our 41st Panera, right? So, and, and company also has a lot of Chicago. So we want to expand there. So maybe if we have a smaller footprint going forward, um, it would make it a lot more, uh, it would make it a, a lot easier to be able to continue to expand and grow. Sure, makes sense. I appreciate the, uh, the context. Overall, how do you think consumers over the next 12 months are gonna feel about going in the dining room at any restaurant, not just Panera. Right. I'll say it this way. I, I always, uh, and maybe not so much from Panera, but uh, Panera too, it's the overall experience, right? People uh, always, uh, it fascinates me, I always think that the only reason they'll go to a restaurant is because of the food. And, uh, you know, sure, first and foremost, if they don't like the food, they're not going to go. But it's really, it's almost like theater, right? Look at it that way, that uh, people like the overall experience. And what really concerns me is, sure, we can be smart about it. We can uh, physically distance. I hate social distance. Uh, it's physically distancing. Um, we can wear masks. We can, you know, do things to wash our hands and all that. But I just don't see it till we can uh, get 100% through this and get rid of all the masks and not feel like we need to wear those and create that atmosphere again. That That's gonna be, uh, I think, really difficult for operators and restaurateurs to get people to come in 
that want the overall experience. I, I just, that concerns me, um, especially for the higher priced uh, restaurants and the nicer restaurants. Yeah, the fine dining for sure. Fine dining, right. All right. Well, that's some good insights from someone who's in it every day. I want to pivot now to Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, where you have a story about a Panera that opened. Why don't you uh, start to tell us that story? Yeah. So back in my brokerage days uh, with National Commercial Brokers, uh, when I first uh, jumped into that world of the fee business and loving, um, you know, like I said, I had loved uh, when I was buying my own properties, my favorite thing to do uh, besides making money. was uh, was leasing and uh, just working with people. I've I've always been a people person, uh, so uh, that was uh, you know. So I enjoyed uh, getting into the brokerage business. One of my first clients was uh, Hollywood Video, non-food. But my first uh, my first client uh, in the food world was Panera Bread, and Ron Shake had basically uh, had just from Aubon Pond days here in Boston had went out and bought St. Louis Bread Company and then quickly changed the name over to Panera. Chris, I bet you don't know this. Do you know why they changed from St. Louis Bread Company to Panera Bread? No, please tell us. Yeah, this, I love this story. So uh, basically, uh, in St. Louis, by the way, where the headquarters still is, uh, they still call them St. Louis Bread Company. They, that's the only market that they never changed to Panera Bread. Um, so the reason is they the first two markets that they opened up St. Louis Bread Company outside was Chicago and Atlanta. And in Chicago, once they put the word St. Louis in there because of the baseball rivalry between the Cubs and St. Louis, right? People uh, did not go into the store because it was called St. Louis Bread Company. So he quickly, uh, Ron and senior team, quickly came up with Pan Up and came up with Panera. So that's how the name changed. Pan Up. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Very cool. So anyway, so uh, Shrewsbury. (laughs) So I'm getting into the brokerage business. And uh, one of the franchisees, one of the original ones here in Boston today, um, he's still, uh, his name's Mitch Roberts, um, PR restaurant. He used to be the head of real estate with Aubon Pond, with Ron Shake. And when Ron basically decided to start franchising right away, the Panera brand, um, he and a partner of his became a franchisee here. Today, they think they own over 60 here in New England. Um, so uh, being in the brokerage business, uh, you know, I had to be aggressive to try to get clients. And I really was fascinated by the brand. He opened up a couple of them and he didn't have an exclusive broker. He was working with couple different brokers and I kept hounding them. I hounded them for almost almost a year. And uh, he finally said to me, uh, Ben, he knew I, so I was, I, I was born and raised at, in Springfield, Mass, which is 90 miles uh, west of, of Boston. And he had that entire territory, including, you know, around Boston and in Worcester, which is where Shrewsbury is. So he basically said to me, you know what? I'm going to give you Worcester West to Springfield where you grew up. So within uh, 30 days, a month, we found this site in Shrewsbury 
in White City. Um, and uh, it's an inline space and we did the deal. And, uh, you know, the deal went smoothly. And all of a sudden after that deal and once he opened up and started uh, realizing what a good site it was, uh, what a good deal we had negotiated, he basically came to myself and my partner and said, you have my whole territory. But within six months after that, there was uh, another franchisee in New England. He came to us and we started representing them. Within another six months, company, corporate, had uh, uh, Connecticut, where they were doing co uh, company stores versus franchise, um, came to us to represent them. So all of a sudden, uh, that one deal in Shrewsbury, which was in line, which is still there today, um, and it's still, uh, it's not, it doesn't have a drive-through, which we could talk a lot about that. That's kind of been in the last 10 years for Panera, the initiative, if you can get a drive-through uh, to do it. But that's an old inline store that uh, still to this day does a great business, um, has no visibility to the street. When Panera, <laughs> when we first started representing Panera, and if a lot of folks probably listening, if they're, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening. Um, Panera uh, initially could really go anywhere within a center. It didn't need to be front and center. It didn't need to be visible because it was such a powerful brand and something new when it first came out. Once the, the word would spread uh, about it, people would go to it and it didn't need to be an end cap or, or whatever. So that deal was the, the, the first Panera Bread deal I did. And then if you look uh, you know, through my career, right? Uh, not only did I represent them here, then when I went to, uh, this is interesting, I, when I took the Maestro's job, um, there was a concept out there that uh, was on fire called Paradise Bakery. Um, I'm not sure, if, Chris, if you've ever heard Paradise Bakery. They're a tenant of mine. Are Still they? today. Okay, cool. So that's, this is a good story. So <clears throat> when I first went out to, to take the job with Mace, uh, Rich, Westcor, uh, Danny Patterson, who started Paradise Bakery, um, uh, lived in Phoenix <clears throat> and basically was a, a, a tenant with Westcor and a lot of their centers. So here I come out from Boston loving Panera and I'm a Panera snob. And I was like, Paradise Bakery, you know, they don't compare. Well, within a couple months, I became very good friends with Danny Patterson, who's a great guy, by the way. Um, he's been far out uh, of the business. So I'm doing Paradise Bakery deals in, in, uh, in Phoenix and, and, and Arizona. And right when uh, I had done a couple deals, uh, Ron Shake comes in and buys it. So a couple deals that I had done actually uh, midstream already had Paradise Bakery signs up and so on and uh, 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 they were changing them to Panera but then they backed off of it because they ended up keeping the Paradise Bakery name up until I think only a couple years ago so doing that right and then um, the corporate story me working for Panera corporate and so on and uh, let's go let's go back to that first store sure. powerful message that that one that one, you, you, you worked for a year to get the account, you got the account, that one deal yep. led to many more opportunities for you. Right. What did you do, in your opinion, that you think got you 
all that other business? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. Um, I would say this. Uh, one of the things that um, I really liked about the brokerage business was, and I think kind of helped me uh, become a little different as a broker uh, in a lot of ways and gave me an advantage was, I really did uh, immediately really take the time to understand the concept, the brand, the person, right? I really, um, because when, when I first started representing them and did that deal, majority of people didn't know what Panera Bread was. They basically said, I remember a lot of landlords saying to me when I was introducing the brand is like a bakery concept for, you know, 4,500 square feet. You know, what, that just doesn't exist. I mean, what is it? So I really had to educate uh, the landlords and I took the time to do it. And I think that really mattered. That's a, that's a great tip for landlords out there or for brokers out there to educate the landlords on the brand. Anything in particular about that deal that was, you know, unique about the lease, about the negotiation with the yeah. landlord? Yeah. Uh, that landlord uh, may rest in peace. Um, he uh, very successful, even to this day, it's a, a, a you know, Shrewsbury, uh, if anyone knows the area and White City, the center's on two sides of the street. Um, it's a typical power center with plenty of fast casual, fast food restaurants, the grocery, um, <laughs> et cetera. And it's right at the gateway of Worcester, which is the second largest uh, city in Massachusetts. And um, it was always a very, very successful center owned by an individual. Um, I'm trying to, I forget his name. Uh, was it Barry Shore? Maybe. Uh, he, was a, he was a nutcase. He basically had an office. That, I think that was his only center that he owned. And he basically made a living off of this center. And I remember him being, a, a, at that point, kind of a grumpy old man who basically uh, was really tough, really tough to negotiate. And uh, it, that was another thing, you know, you're asking these questions. It, um, besides uh, educating him on Panera, which was interesting, it was also, uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't difficult for me to always be able to sit down with somebody and uh, kind of listen to them, what, what they, you know, when you're negotiating a deal, right? And that's kind of what this is all about is, is you know, deal making and so on. Uh, to me, uh, it's always been about listening to the person you're negotiating with and understanding what their, their hot buttons are, what they want. And, uh, you know, I remember going out now, this is so long ago, but I remember going out there multiple times and sitting down with him, there's a, uh, uh, he loved pizza. Uh, there's a Papa Gino's, I'm not sure if it's still in there. Papa Gino's, unfortunately, is kind of a dying brand, but, you know, growing up here or anybody, um, I don't know, you're probably familiar with Papa Gino's. Sure. Chris? They yeah. were a tenant of mine, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but there was a very successful one in this center, and and every time I'd meet with him, I'd, you know, I'd meet with him, and he actually would buy me pizza for, for lunch. And we'd sit there and, and that helped, that helped that, 
besides me taking a long time to get Mitch Roberts to uh, hire me as the exclusive broker, it also that first deal was uh, I think it, I, I think it impressed him because he knew uh, real estate because again he was the head of real estate for Aubon Pond. I'm not sure if there was an Aubon Pond in that center, but he knew this landlord how difficult. So uh, it was kind of like a perfect storm, right? To be able to uh, get this uh, franchisee to represent, but it was also uh, connecting with the landlord um, who was very difficult. Big three takeaways. One, no quit on getting the assignment with the franchisee. Two, educating the market about the brand and why the brand was great and would help them. And three, really building the relationship with the landlord that created that deal. And those three things really led you to build confidence with Panera to get more business. Yeah. There's one other thing though I have to throw in there. The other thing is understanding from the, the, the franchisee or the tenant, what, uh, what the site needs to be. Right. Cause that's the other part too. Right. Uh, you know, is I spent a lot of time with Mitch and so on, and also meeting and talking to Panera corporate there, you know, it's interesting about a lot of people don't know this, uh, the real estate, uh, department for Panera corporate, even though the headquarters was in St. Louis was here in Boston and it's, uh, Ron Shea, who was the CEO is from here. So he always kept the senior team and the real estate corporate uh, office, which is still, uh, I'm pointing behind here because I'm actually talking to you from my office in Needham, which uh, in a building that our company owns that has a Panera right next door. So not only do I, uh, do I love the concept, I eat at it, uh, eat way too much. That's why it's good. It's a podcast because, you know, <laughs> I eat every day, but um, so <laughs> that too. I, I think that's an important takeaway for anybody that uh, is really understand uh, what uh, what's a good site versus a bad site, and and don't uh, don't take it on yourself to just kind of uh, think you know it. You know, really get educated by both the franchisor and real estate and the franchisee as far as what makes a good site or not. The, I appreciate any of the negotiation get contentious in that deal with that local landlord. You know, it's a long time ago, Chris. So I, but you know, I get a little fuzzy, but uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, he was, he, when I say he was difficult, um, I definitely remember walking out and thinking there was not a chance in heck we were going to finish that deal. No doubt about it. He could that, care that, less. He could care less about the brand or anything. He just, yeah, I mean, look, he cared about his rent, um, which you know, a, a lot that matters. But he was, uh, he was just very difficult. And yeah, that's a that's a good segue though, because oftentimes we we go into deals and we think there's no chance after a meeting, and sometimes those deals are the most rewarding and gratifying, and they actually happen. Right. What do you think? If you left feeling that, what do you think was like a turning point that the deal made? 
I think it was, a, I think it was the concept. He finally bought the into the concept. Yeah, I think it really was there. You know, the, the, there were a couple of, there weren't many, but there were a couple open. And uh, I remember getting him to uh, go. He wanted to go with me, but he did go. I, and I think that was the turning point. I'm trying to remember, because at that point, um, Mitch had already opened a store. Uh, his first store in Boston was in Framingham. Um, and uh, Framingham from Shrewsbury is, you know, 30 minutes or less. And I was able to convince him to please go to the concept. And I think once he did that, uh, still didn't make it a lot easier to finish it, but it, it, it certainly opened his eyes to the brand and the concept. All right. Well, really appreciate the story and a lot of the lessons learned. Want to pivot to the last piece of the show, Retail Wisdom. I have three questions for you. Tell me when you're ready. I'm ready, Chris. Go for it. One, what is your best piece of commercial real estate advice? So I'm going to go site selection, right? Because that's kind of what I, you know, I've hung my hat on my whole career. One of the things that uh, always amazes me is I ask folks and, you know, I hire brokers and uh, some of my best friends uh, out there are brokers that I use exclusively in markets and trade areas. And uh, one of the things I always ask is, all of the corporate real estate folks that come out and tour, have they ever done it on a weekend? And I tell you, 99.9% say no. And it just baffles me because early on in my career, I realized that, uh, and this was for retailers too, what's one of the busiest days of the week? Saturday. Saturday. And I can tell you right now, people listening to this, I'd love to get feedback on how many people actually, when they're out touring, when we're gonna all be out touring again, hopefully soon, God willing, right? Uh, how often do they do it on a weekend? I think and, that's not just for the retailer. I think that's for brokers, landlords, everyone should go to retail properties on weekends. Absolutely, right? No question about it. Uh, it's a great, so great point. I, I would say that would be my best. And the, and the only other thing too, I wanna answer on that too, and I know a lot of this is gonna be edited, but. Uh, is uh, one of the things I always do too when I'm looking at dirt, no matter where it is, what it is, uh, as long as it's not so overgrown, I get it when I tour, I get out of the car and I walk to the middle of the site. And it's amazing to me how many people and brokers always say to me, it's a little weird, why are you doing that? And it's just always been something I've done because, and it's amazing when you go to the middle of the site where you're gonna put the building, and just stand there a little bit and look around, there's gonna be things you're gonna see from an access or flow, traffic flow, that if you sit in the car and look out the windshield, you'll never see. So that would be my other advice. Two pieces of commercial real estate advice. One, get to the property on the weekend. Two, stand in the middle of the dirt. Second question, extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go restaurant, right? Because uh, that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, there was a concept that's unfortunately no longer here called T-Lux. T-Lux, L-U-X-E. It started in Harvard Square. Um, and I actually represented them back in my brokerage days. 
at one point they probably had about 15 stores around greater Boston. And it was my favorite concept because uh, not only was it a cool, cool tea shop, they had uh, back in the day, they had panini sandwiches and, and just really cool space and good food. And, you know, it was just nice to see. And unfortunately, about six months ago, the, the first one uh, was the last one that closed in Harvard Square in Cambridge uh, that the uh, Regency actually, I think, just bought the real estate, the whole block, and they've torn it down and building new. I don't think T-Lux is coming back, but that would be one that uh, I love that concept and miss it. Awesome. Last question. So we're all at home and I've been looking at home products a bunch lately. And one of the hot home products I had no idea was smart water leak detectors. Smart water leak detectors. Honeywell has their Wi-Fi water leak and freeze detector. My wife would love that. <laughs> what does that retail for? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say $14.95. Well, it normally retails for $79, but it's on sale for $58.68. Thank you for playing. It's been a yeah, fun show. My pleasure, Chris. And thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, Don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.